Forrester podcast. Today, Max will be making some slight revisions to his 60 through 40 ranks. And then once we're done with that, we're going to hop into 40 all the way up to 20, as well as a brief conversation about some potential breakout guys, maybe the Lowry Markinens of the 23-24 season. Before we get into it, Max, how you doing? I'm good. Yeah, I did uh, a little bit of soul searching after the last pod because somehow that 60 to 40 range, it didn't feel quite right. I think I had a lot, most of the right guys in there, but I wanted to do some quick revisions. So yeah, there have been some changes there. Some guys who went up, guys who went down, guys who fell out entirely. But yeah, we can get right into those and then start working through the rest of the list. Yeah. So I know the Derek White hive was pretty upset last week. The Jalen Williams hive was upset last week, which is crazy to me because I feel like you're the president of that hive. I am. You had him at six on your board in his own draft two years ago. Um, But obviously you just weren't quite ready to coordinate Jalen, at least last week. So talk to me. What's going on? Yeah. So falling out entirely from the top 60, who guys who I think I put in because I got a little swept up in uh, the media frenzy, perhaps, around these teams. But uh, Christoph Porzingis, I don't think he's done enough to really warrant being in the top 60 and has severe health and injury concerns. So if I'm going to ding other guys within this top 60 for that, I think I have to ding him as well, where he's just very rarely made it through any of the last five seasons without some sort of major injury. Michael Porter Jr., I also removed from the top 60, I think, I was a little too swayed by the title run. And while he's a very good player and he's right on the cusp of that 60, probably need to see a little more for him. And he also has the health concerns himself. Then Derek White. Apologies to the Derek White hive. I have Derek White at 61. I really went back and forth with him and Clay Thompson for the last spot in the top 60. And I was trying to picture what it would look like if you swap the two of them because they just have such different skill sets. But... I feel like Klay Thompson's shooting, even though it disappeared him in the playoffs, is still such like a a court warping asset as just a single individual skill. And while Derek White has a great all-around game, I still think I value Klay's high-end shooting a little bit more. So before I get into the guys who made it in to the top 60, do you have any thoughts on Kristaps Porter falling out, White not making it in? Yeah. Uh, Chris Stapps falling out. I'm totally with you. I'm not a Chris Stapps guy. Um, and I get your Derek White point because I don't think Derek White can be the first or second best player on a really good team, but he's better in his role than guys that you have at in that like 55 to 60 range for me. So like 58 through 60, Julius Randle, Chris Paul, Clay. Like I'd have Derek White above all three of those guys uh-huh. um, because I think we're at a point in the rankings where uh, it's less about floor raisers and more about like elite role players. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a sort of uh, personal viewpoint of at this point, whether you'd rather value guys who can be really valuable, like sort of fifth options on yeah. a championship team versus guys who can be first or second options in dragging you sort of to a lower playoff seed. Uh I tend to lead towards the elite role, lean towards the elite role players, but also since the premise of these rankings is to make it through a full regular season and win the championship, you do have to win regular season games to get to the playoffs. So if I don't think your 
going to completely disqualify your team from winning, such as Carl Anthony Towns, who still has not made my top 60. Uh, I don't have quite the same feeling about Julius Randle, though I know you do. I feel like he's not as destructive defensively as Towns is, and you could sort of play around his flaws as opposed to them sort of being the focal point of your entire team. But speaking of Julius Randle, one of the changes is he's made it into the top 60. I had a lot of Knicks fans haranguing me that he was not in the top 60. They thought he should have been closer to the 30s. I thought that was ridiculous. Like 105 or so? <laughs> but I was moved by the argument that you do have to win regular season games to make it into the playoffs. And he is a regular season force in two of the last three years. I can't put him any, than high, any higher than 58 in good conscience just because the just because of how he looked in the playoffs and he was dealing with an ankle injury that he had to have surgery on after the playoffs that's worth mentioning but he was also pretty destructively bad especially offensively in the playoffs and really didn't have a good playoff game he had like one game against the Cavs where he played solid defense moved the ball and got some clutch rebounds late and he maybe he had a game against Miami where he did something similar but that's certainly not what you want your second best player to sort of be hanging his hat on especially when he's averaging 25 10 and 4 in the regular season but because of the regular season prowess and bit of the benefit of the doubt with his injury in the playoffs last year i put him at 58 couldn't also put him any higher because the last time we saw him have a great regular season and make an all nba team he followed it up with one of the most unpleasant seasons to watch that i've ever had for a player as a knicks fan in 2021 22 so we'll see if his pattern of great season, awful season, great season con continues or if the awful season was just an aberration because that team had no talent. And now that Brunson's there and Hart is there and all these other sort of pieces that we have around him, he can sort of continue building on what he did last year. Exciting time for the Knicks. Moving down in the ranks, but not falling out entirely, DeJounte Murray. Uh, I had him somewhere in the mid to late 40s before. Uh, I think partially, uh, to be fair, I didn't watch a ton of Atlanta Hawks basketball last year. I find them very unpleasant to watch just because of the way that uh, Trey plays. Although I do have Trey fairly high in my ranks, I think, for where NBA Twitter seems to have him. But DeJounte, I kind of just like penciled into the 40s. I was like, oh, he's with the other group of like young uh, borderline all-star guards, but I kind of feel like, you know, he took a step back on defense last year. On offense, he's got this very mid-range dependent game. He did have a very good year in the pick and roll, but I don't know. He he went to Atlanta and they didn't really change their destiny all that much. So I feel like he's got a bit of a prove it season where it's like, wait, really? How good are you? Like, are you a really good role player? Are you because you're probably not good enough to be a top two option on a really good team. So I put him down at 57 just because I'm I'm not totally sure about his game translating to the playoffs and wasn't super impressed with how he played last year. So it didn't feel right having him up with those other kind of borderline all stars. Yeah. It's also a lot easier to be a plus defender when you're playing next to guys like Trey Jones and Devin Vassell, uh, as opposed to Trey Young. So I I do cut Jajunjay some slack defensively uh, for being thrown into that defensive backcourt predicament. But uh, I, I think that makes sense. And yeah. 
the last the last thing I'll say about your 60 to 40 range is that it's really hard for me to wrap my head around Paolo being below some of these guys that are just such objectively such worse trade assets. But I get that it's year two for Paolo. He hasn't played a playoff game yet. And we do have to have some respect for guys like DeRozan, Levine, yeah. uh, Middleton, Harden. I can't have Harden's the only guy that I can easily say I'd put Paolo above just for the let's find out factor. Um, yeah. But but the uh, but the other vets who have put up numbers and at least stolen a game or two against the Bucks in round one, that they they do deserve to be above Paolo. Um, yeah. Until until this season plays out. Yeah. So quickly moving through the last two changes in the sixty to forty range, um, stays the same at fifty six and fifty five with OG and Austin Reeves, and then, uh, my king, I was. I was too low on him because I was internally so high that I think I my body did like a bit of a checks and balances thing where they're like, oh, you're too high on Jalen Williams. You can't you can't put him this high. But I said no. I put him at 54. Um so between Austin Reeves, below him and Fred Van Vliet above him. After the all-star break last year, he averaged about 19 points, six rebounds and four assists or something like that on damn near 50, 40, 90 shooting. And I was texting with Drew earlier this week because I was just trying to think of like what the comparison is for him. And I'm sticking with my pre-draft comparison of Manu Ginobili, uh, but a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger and a weaker shooter. But I do think Jalen's going to be able to shoot pretty well. Like his percentages were not bad last year for a rookie. And as a college player, I like the way that he shot. He might not have like a dynamic off the dribble jumper game, but it'll still be passable. And if you look at every other facet of his game, 6'5 with a 7'2 wingspan, elite physical tools. Somehow I was still very high on him coming out of college, even though I thought he was a below average athlete. And in the NBA, he's definitely demonstrated that he is an above average to almost elite athlete with the way that he dunks on guys, the way that sort of his he can translate strength into playing as well. And we just saw in that preseason game, he had a sequence where we had like a block, a putback dunk, and then another driving dunk. And I just think he has no holes in his game. I'm excited to see him in a more on-ball role this year, flash some more of his playmaking and passing, because that's what made me fall in love with him as a prospect, was his ability to make reads and sort of dissect a defense really quickly. And last year, he had more of an off-the-ball kind of cutting cleanup sort of role or attacking closeouts, and not so much of that on the ball until later in the season when he really started to flash majorly. So having him at 54, I think he's going to be fantastic. I think he's going to be the Thunder's second-best player this year. I saw ESPN had him as as their fourth best player, which I think is ludicrous. And... Looking down the line with him, like I think he's going to make all NBA teams. This is a guy, I'm going to go my Chris Collinsworth. This is a guy who is going to be great ball handler, great passer, great scorer, almost elite athlete, good defender, like at 6'6 six, yeah. six with a 7'2 wingspan and super strong. You're describing like the perfect basketball player, essentially. Yeah, almost in an SGA kind of way. I think what makes J-Dub an elite athlete is his unique movement patterns. He kind of glides to the rim like it, like he's performing 2k animations it's very easy for him and so he has the vert he has the measurables he has the strength but it's just the way that he moves on the basketball court is so natural um and unique and the way he covers grounds and Manu Ginobili with 
damn near elite, you know, physical tools is, yeah, like you said, that's an all NBA player. That's potentially a Hall of Famer. We're not going to go that far for J-Dub, but the bottom line is the ceiling is the roof for that guy. But this leads me to my next question. Where the fuck is Josh Giddy on this list? Giddy, uh, honestly, I I just feel like I need to see more with him. Um, I need to see that he can develop his scoring game. I love his passing. You know me. I I fall in love with big playmakers. So the Thunder are like my favorite team because that's all they draft essentially. But or my favorite team to watch this upcoming season. To spoil, you wouldn't rather rather have Giddy than Julius Randle on the Knicks right now. I definitely rather have him on the Knicks because that means that we're for this season. For this season. For this season, it definitely lowers our our regular season win total if we replace Randall with Giddy. Um, Uh, That's the most Knicks thing you've ever said. It's true, though. It's true. And Giddy, I love the idea of him, but I need to see a little bit more in terms of how much has his ball handling progressed because I think he's an elite passer, but I'm not positive he's an elite handler. And then... How much has his scoring progressed as well? He had some flashes at FIBA of a little bit more of an in-between game, but with how that team is structured, if they're going to keep him long-term, he's probably going to need to develop at least an okay three-point jumper on decent volume, which I think his percentages have been okay, but it just looks a little weird and the volume's not really there. So going to have to see if Thunder shooting coach Chip England has been in the lab with him and what sort of stuff they're cooking up. But I considered him... I just feel like if I'm going to have if I'm going to have three Thunder sort of sniffing around or two around the top 50 and then Shea, who's much, much higher on this list, then it's like, man, do I think they're going to be like one of the three or four best teams in the West? And I'm not quite there with them, though. I do think they'll be a playoff team, though I haven't totally gone through it yet. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm here to say today that I'm there and we're, we're going to get into it more. I'm sure we'll talk more about like our, our standings predictions at some point in the next couple of weeks, but I'm there. I, I think the Thunder are a top four seed in the West. I'm done denying myself of that admission. Um, and I I expect them to win a series, depending on matchups. But I, I just think that they're a really strong candidate to win the ser- a series. And if I were making the, the Vegas books, like I'd have their over-under on series wins at one and a half for this year. That's how deep I think they are. And they have it all. And usually when we talk about a team like this, we say, you know, maybe like the Nets last year, like they've got a lot of good ancillary guys, but where is the centerpiece? Well, SGA looks like the centerpiece. He just did it in Manila. Uh, he was the best player in the FIBA World Cup, and he did it for at least 70 games last year. So yeah. I'm I'm pretty damn close to saying that SGA is just straight up like a top six, top seven player in the league. Uh we haven't gotten up there yet. I need to take a long, hard look at my top 10 before I say crazy things like that. But uh, I, what do the Thunder not have? Uh, I'm, I worry about Chet's health, as I've said for a while. It's why I had him at number three in his draft. But I know that healthy Chet is a plus-plus player. And we're going to talk about Lowry Markinen candidates later in this episode. And the the Thunder don't have any of them for me. But something I've been thinking about is... I think we just assume that in this sort of fantasy basketball way, Jalen Williams and Josh Giddy, like these guys will cannibalize each other's stats this year. So they'll, they'll, they'll all look really good, but like maybe 
none of them will emerge as like Shay's bona fide star sidekick. And I was thinking, what if, what if that's not true? What if J Dub or Getty like blows up this year? They're so good that they just like that they take on the secondary ball handling duties, and we think it's gonna kind of be half and half, but really one of them emerges as the number two for this franchise. Um, assuming Chet isn't that good out of the gate, but yeah, yeah, Chet, Chet might be that guy. He might be. Chet is someone who depending on how he plays this year, could be vaulting himself into this list next year. Uh, same with Wemby, who uh, I would probably bet on vaulting himself into this list next year, but just didn't feel right to put a rookie in there yet. All right, the last update in the 60 to 40 range is I moved Andrew Wiggins up a few spots. Just felt like he still had some equity from that championship run a few years ago. Yeah, so I, mo- I moved him up to 49, um, quickly running through the rest up to where we're going to start today. 48, LaMelo Ball, 47, Evan Mobley, 46, Tyrese Maxey, 45, Paolo, 44, Cade Cunningham, who we both think is going to break out this year, you to a larger extent than me, but I still have him in my top 50, 43, Chris Middleton, 42, James Harden, 41, Zach Levine, 40, Franz Wagner, 39, Mikhail Bridges, 38, DeMar DeRozan, 37, Desmond Bain. And that was the recap of the 60 to 40 for anyone who doesn't remember from last episode. Yep. Already got issues because here we go. Starting at 36 where Max has the gall to put Bradley Beal over Desmond Bain. Speak. So this tier of three C and the general tier three is good to great number twos. And this this tier at the bottom here of three guys I call regular season mavens. And it's 36 Bradley Beal, 35 DeMontis Sabonis, and 34 Darius Garland. Bradley Beal over Desmond Bain. I did think about that one a lot. I feel like often we probably underestimate how kind of both energy sapping and it's easy to compile stats on a bad team, but also in terms of efficiency and stuff, you're seeing all the best defenders, all the double teams, everything like that. I do think we're going to see a better, more efficient Bradley Beal with the Suns this year. And Mm -hmm. I just feel like he's built up enough equity over his career that I can, I can put him over Desmond Bain without sort of, sweating it too much I, I mean they are right next to each other i think it's possible that bain has a better year but i just think playing around booker and durant uh beal sort of is going to have the easiest job he's had in, offensively in the last few seasons now for the ultimate ceiling of that team he's going to really have to dial in defensively and sort of in the dirty work aspects of the game yeah but i think with the equity that he's built up as a number one option over his career and the fact that he still should be in his prime, I didn't feel comfortable ranking him any lower than 36. Yeah. And quick thing with Beal, he should be a fine defender. I think because of his height and weight, we've we've associated him with some other like smallish scoring guards over the years. But Bradley Beal's pretty long with really broad shoulders, and he measured really well in his combine years ago. Like he 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 kind of has like Devin Booker dimensions without the same girth. So there's no reason and it's probably not going to happen because it's been a decade of mediocre defense, but Bradley Beal can be a serviceable defender. He has the he has the gifts from God. Uh in terms of the Bane Beal thing, I won't be too hard on you in these first few weeks of the season. 
as their usage rates head in opposite directions because surely Bain is going to put up numbers uh, at least in the first 25 when he's probably the number one option for that offense in Memphis as Beal settles into a a drastically different role than what he's been accustomed to throughout his career. Um, But you know what? I like, I like the tier. I I think I love Garland so much that I can't possibly have him in the same tier as Sabonis or Beal. Um, That's my only qualm here. I think I, I, I like Garland more than more than most. That's fair. Um, Garland could exceed my expectations this year. I also had a really tough time ranking Sabonis because I think, I mean, Fox is very good and I had Fox, I have Fox higher than Sabonis, largely based on their playoff performance. Although a little hard to judge Sabonis on that since he was playing with like a torn ligament in his thumb and then also a stomped on chest for largely uh, for most of that series. But I do think Sabonis was more of the driving engine of their success during the regular season. For sure. So he's sort of like a supercharged Julius Randle, where his regular season, he's more efficient and seems generally more fun to play with. But in the regular season, his impact probably vastly outpaces his impact in the playoffs when you can exploit some of his weaknesses more on the defensive end and sort of away from the basket. So. Yeah. I'm curious to see how he looks this year. I'm probably lower on the Kings than consensus. I think every year we have a team that kind of vastly outperforms expectations the year before, and people expect them to, at the very least, stay the same, if not take another jump. And I just think with how competitive the West is this year, it would be very hard for me to see the Kings replicating their success from a year ago. However, I have to reward Sabonis for that success because they were the three seed and the best offense in the league. And I think he was the driving force behind that. Garland, I love his game. I think he's one of the top like scoring, playmaking sort of combination of the two guards in the league. He did have an atrocious playoff series against the Knicks where he basically just had one good game. Um, I'm not going to you know, totally ruin a guy's ranking off of 10 days of basketball, but at the same time, uh, he had some pretty destructively bad games in that series, and it remains to be seen sort of how he translates to the playoffs, although I feel like he should translate pretty well. But just because of that, I felt like I had to ding him and couldn't put him up with some of the guys higher on this list. Like, I think he's a little step below that sort of group of Brunson, Halliburton, Fox, Trey Young, uh, John Morant, those like what I'd call like just below the elite point guards in the NBA. So first on Garland, I want to push back against this notion that he was awful in that series. I felt like Donovan Mitchell was more of a disappointment than Darius Garland. Garland led the team in free throws in in that five game series. Yeah. He, he got to the line five times a night. He was 20, 21, two and five, two rebounds, five assists on 44, 39, 84 splits. He it was a it was a big drop off from his regular season, but it wasn't a complete atrocity. And the team fell apart kind of as a unit. Uh so it's I think it's become cool to knock a lot of guys on on the Cavs roster right now. And I just this wasn't this wasn't like a James Harden no show, is my point. And I and I'm really willing to give Garland another chance. I think I'm surprised I'm surprised that Garland's gotten so much flack. Because you're not you're not alone in this in this conviction i just i I didn't quite see it I, I he did some things and he also i feel like he also picked up some slack when when spider was particularly struggling um but 
definitely. It was it was a massive disappointment for all, all the way down that roster. Yeah, his stats are actually better than I expected from that series. I think what really sticks in my mind is that game three where the Cavs really kind of needed to yeah. have it going into New York and he shot four of 21, one of seven yeah. from three. After that, he kind of picked it up, but the Cavs were still losing. So yeah, to your point, Donovan Mitchell kind of underperformed there as well, though I will say just as a Knicks fan, I was much more scared of Donovan Mitchell having the ball in open looks than I was of Garland. Not sure what that counts for, but just something I felt watching the series. I think also it was weird because like Mitchell came out and shot the lights out in game one and looked like an all world's number one guy. And then as the series completely flipped and the Knicks sucked all the momentum out of it, um, that was more when Garland started making some shots and it was kind of too little too late. So, so I'm with you. The stats are a little bit juiced and it was a disappointing playoffs all around for them in terms of Sabonis. Yeah, it's been cool to say Sabonis sucks after after last year's playoffs, um, but he has so much to do with that regular season. And if we're going to label guys stopped to, you know, load manage and miss important games, then we got to give Sabonis some credit for playing with a broken hand for what sounds like the majority of last year. And uh, yeah. yeah, this is this is a prove it season for Sabonis. All right, coming up next is the player who has probably built the foundation of Drew and Mai's basketball discourse. Sandwiched between tiers 3B and 3C, I have a one-player tier called the Zion tier, and that player is Zion Williamson at number 33. This is a guy who, once again, going Chris Collinsworth, was a top 10 player in the league when he was playing last year. Uh, Pelicans were the number one seed in the West for most of the time he was playing. I think they were number three, but like trailing by a game when he inevitably finally got hurt and hurt his hamstring from what seemed like it was going to be a month long injury and turned into the rest of the season as he got further and further out of shape and they were not comfortable with him coming back to the floor. He didn't feel like he could fully be himself. He's back this year. He's healthy. Um, he's decently in shape. David Griffin said that it was the first summer he'd really taken seriously in terms of, you know, getting his body in a place to be a professional basketball player, which is not the thing you'd love to hear, but at least <laughs> they feel like he's doing that. Um, at the same time, watching the preseason, I still think he looks heavy. Um, I'm going to say, <laughs> obviously, this is what I was going to say, but like he looks the same to me. <laughs> yeah. The pictures uh, look the same, but if but if he's been working hard, that's good. Um, yeah, hopefully he's been working on like his pliability or something or or whatnot, because the the body doesn't look all that different. But he's still an unstoppable offensive force. I think if we're ranking, you know, just singular offensive forces in the NBA, he's towards the very top of that list. There's no one in the NBA who can guard him one on one. Prime LeBron is probably the only person, but I don't think anyone else is low enough to the ground and strong enough to be able to keep him from getting where he wants to go without sending a second or even a third defender as well. So I didn't know where to put him because if he's healthy, he's knocking on the door of my top 10. And if he's unhealthy, he's uh, not applicable. So I put him at 33, basically in the middle of this list where he's behind guys who I've seen prove it in the playoffs as first or second options just because I'd rather have the sort of guaranteed aspect of that as opposed to the volatility of Zion. But if we're talking the guys after him, 
I might rather roll the dice on Zion because if he's healthy, I have an MVP level player on my team. And yeah, yeah at this point for the Pelicans, they just got to cross their fingers and hope this is the year that he's healthy. Because if we go through another season, as is, as I imagine you will say is probably going to happen that, you know, he looks really good in the first 20 games and then, you know, has some sort of soft tissue injury that lingers for the rest of the season. I don't really know where they go from here. Yep. Needless to say, there are double digit guys I'd have above Zion uh, on this list. So let's keep going. All right. Getting into tier 3B, who I call good number twos. At 32, possibly a controversial selection, Draymond Green. Uh, I still think. Love it. I love it. I love it. Everyone appreciate Max as a true basket, as a true hoop man, because I think this is this is a ranking that will sound kind of ludicrous to the casuals. But like, come on, the dude is the dude is is like a top three playoff defender every single year. I don't know how you maybe you can argue that he's that this is high for him, but you can't argue that he doesn't belong on the list. And yeah, this is just moment of appreciation for Max is all I want to say. He's still their second best player like Warriors fans I feel like love to shit on him because they just see him at the top of the key standing there with no one guarding him and they're like how can this guy be an NBA player and not be remotely a threat without anyone sort of within eight feet of him but he's still just such a force defensively we saw it against Jokic two years ago in their title run where he guarded him one-on-one as good as I've seen anyone guard him and giving up so much weight and so much height as well. And we saw it this year. So little heart. (laughs) So little heart, that's right. And then we saw it this year where he kind of like punks a bonus out of that series a little bit, the combination of him and Kevon Looney. But I just think he makes that Warriors system hum. He might not be the 32nd best player in the NBA on another team. It's kind of hard to rank him because if, if you put him on, you know, the Pistons where he was rumored to sort of potentially be looking at when the contract stuff was going around i'm not sure he has the same impact to where he's the 32nd best player in the league but in his situation on golden state he's one of the five most impactful playoff defenders for sure and like one of the most versatile defenders in the league it's basically him anthony davis bam Giannis, and jaron i guess though he doesn't have the sort of perimeter aspect that those other guys have and Yeah, I just that sort of elite level of defense combined with I think he has very valuable contributions to their offense and the way that he sort of coaxes more motion out of people, knows exactly where to get the shooters the ball. It's just a perfect fit for him. Uh, You know, they had to bring him back. That was an absolute necessity. And who knows? We'll see this year if he's got a little bit more of that sort of pep in his step now that the Jordan Poole incident is behind them uh, and he can just sort of focus on going for another championship again so yeah he is the opposite of a regular season maven he's like a playoff killer but that's why i had him at 32 yep real ones appreciate draymond's offense so in this good number two tier yeah we have draymond at 32 Kyrie at 31 drew holiday at 30 larry markinen at 29 pascal siakam at 28 and then jaron jackson at 27 um yeah I imagine you're probably going to jump on me about Kyrie at 31. So uh, I I want to, but also like the dude has had one season that he played fewer than I think like 57, 58 games in the last few years. And it was, uh, if you exclude the COVID year, 
Now, yeah, sure. Kyrie's annoying for all the vaccine shit, but like that, you know, that, that was, that was an anomaly of a year. Um, outside of that, he had one injury riddled year. Other than that, he's been semi-available, at least for modern, like star NBA load management standards. And when Kyrie plays, he's still pretty close to elite. So I don't, I don't hate it. Um, again, I think I'd have Garland above a handful of these guys, but uh, I, I like this list. My the only the only hunch I get is that Jaron is a little bit low. I think I think Jaron had a weak World Cup. He he didn't seem to want to rebound in the Philippines. However, I I do believe that Jaron is a top twenty player in the league right now, just for for being the best defender in the NBA, arguably, and a budding offensive star as well. Yeah, with Kyrie, I mean his his scoring stats last year were actually pretty crazy, which was overshadowed by the fact that Dallas fell apart when they got him and the whole Brooklyn fiasco. But honestly, Dallas falling apart wasn't because of him. Like he played, I mean, it was indirectly because of him because they traded their good defensive players to get him and their defense fell off a cliff, but he played like he was averaging 28, five and five on damn near 50, 40, 90 shooting for the rest or for the whole season last year and his efficiency, particularly on the diet of shots that he takes where it's like tough pull-ups, his sort of insane around the basket finishes. I'm very curious to see how he and Luca look this year. And I just think his skill level is insane. Uh, Drew holiday at 30. Curious to see how he looks for the Celtics. One of the best defenders in the league, but offensively he just has a lot of no-show games in the playoffs or rather showing and being destructive in the three for 21 sense yeah, Larry Markkinen too much show Larry Markkinen one of the hardest guys for me to rank on this list because he just completely came out of nowhere as like a legit star in the NBA but his efficiency stats are crazy scoring in every single aspect of the game pretty off the charts Siakam uh, very interesting trade piece. See if the Toronto Raptors trade him, but one of the better all-around forwards in the NBA as a ball handler, defender, and passer. And then Jaron, who's one of the best defenders in the NBA, still struggles with fouls, and I don't like his offensive impact as much as some of the other elite defenders, but still deserved a spot in the top 30 for his defensive impact. Just to wrap up, uh, good number twos. Yeah, I, I that tier makes a lot of sense to me. I think Pascal, I just would love to see Pascal Siakam have one more defining act in his career because I do believe he's 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 taken a real leap since he was the second best player on that Raptors 2019 championship team. And he fits into a lot of different rosters because he plays such hard defense. His three-point shot has has grown and grown and he can do a lot of stuff. He can run with a younger team. He's a more proficient half-court player now. Uh, so yeah and his his size is just so disruptive in on both ends um okay so that moves us up to great number twos and this is the last year we're going to be looking at today uh so max has lined up for us at number 26 ice trey young 25 brandon ingram 24 De'Aaron fox 23 jalen brunson 22 tyrese halberton my love and 21 the man who can't dribble, Jalen Brown. Yes, J.N. Brown. He has no left. Um, oh, wow. But Trey Young, 
he is someone it's funny i feel like there's a bit of a trey young drew holiday continuum where trey young is often considered the most overrated player in the nba and drew holiday is often considered the most underrated player in the nba mm-hmm. but i feel like we've reached a point where it's become so cool to hate on trey young and so fashionable to like elevate drew holiday perhaps above his status that they've kind of switched a little bit where I think Trey's skill set has become a little underrated and Drew's skill set has probably become a little overrated where, you know, perimeter defense is not as impactful as interior defense necessarily. And his offense in the playoffs, Drew's, is can really be pretty destructive, although we'll see if it's better in Boston. But Trey's still one of the very best on-the-ball pick-and-roll creators in the NBA. I think he's miscast as a number one option. I think he's... If they if on a championship team, he's got to be your number two. I don't know who his ideal pairing is. It's probably someone like Giannis or Anthony Davis, like a devastating role man who can paper your defense together almost single-handedly. And I don't know if they're ever going to get that player in Atlanta. And if he's your number one option, your ceiling. I mean, they did make the conference finals a couple years ago, though they kind of got, I, I would say it was one of the flukier conference finals runs you'll see where it was the COVID year. There were a lot of teams that were kind of injured. You were going against a Knicks team in the first round that had absolutely no talent. Although the Knicks, I think, were, were favored in that series going in. But that was a really untalented team. And then you go against Philly, who sort of implodes right before you. Uh, yeah. And then you run into the box and, you know, Giannis got hurt, Trey gets hurt, and it sort of goes from there. But I still think... <clears throat> Having him on your team is a very viable way to a top 10 offense, just his sheer presence. He doesn't seem like the most fun guy to play with. Hopefully he can fix that as he goes forward in his career. I'm not sure. Some guys, it's just hardwired into them the way they play, like Harden, for instance. Although Harden became a better playmaker later in his career, a better ball sharer, I should say. But I still felt like, you know, a year ago, Trey was in the teens. I've moved him down to 26, but... With his sort of elite on-the-ball play, I felt like I had to have him at 26. And we can get into a larger discussion about this tier of point guards, where it's Trey, Brunson, Halliburton, and Fox. uh, Or Trey, Fox, Brunson, Halliburton in order. I had a lot of trouble figuring out how I wanted to rank those guys. We've seen all of them have varying degrees of success in the playoffs. And they're sort of similar. Well, Halliburton's different, but the other three are kind of similar. Score first. Uh, point guard archetypes though they do it in very different ways I ultimately ended up with Trey at the bottom because mostly his style of play and his just traffic cone on defense nature then Fox because I sort of want to see if his really efficient shooting from last year maintains or if he just had a hot year then Brunson because he had the most playoff success of any of those four you don't need to stand up for Brunson. His, his playoff resume now speaks for itself. Yeah, but the fact that he, you know, just almost single-handedly on offense was was the Knicks' offense in that Cavs series and was just hitting – it felt like every time he shot a 20-footer, it was going to go in. And Yeah, I mean, after, after Jokic, I don't know who was more artful in those playoffs. Like, if you're just cutting a highlight tape of some of the toughest buckets in last year's playoffs, like, Brunson's Brunson has a chunk of those I I think I now that we're in the top 26 I think you're right to be getting into the nitty-gritty of like the order of each tier and 
I I have some disagreements here. Like I I would put I think I'd put Brunson at the top of this just because of what he did for the Knicks last year. Um, I have Trey Young just much lower in my ranks. I'm I'm more with the consensus that now puts him in the James Harden. Nobody wants to play with him in the pickup game kind of vibe. Um, so Trey wouldn't be in my top twenty six. Brandon Ingram totally deserves it, and I'm I I think Ingram and Brunson are competing for the top of this tier for me. Um. And then Halliburton, I would put above Fox just because I expect Halliburton this to be the year that Halliburton is better than Fox, that he takes that step um, as perhaps the best passer in the NBA and just one of the few remaining relics of old school point guard greatness. Um, but yeah, it's it's a sick tier. Jalen Brown, I just he's still I, I he's still a top 25 player in the league. I just think that he's probably number 25 for me. That's fair. Um, yeah, I put Jalen Brown at the top of this tier just because, I mean, he's been – it's kind of crazy that he's been in the conference finals or further almost every year since he's been in the league. Like, both he and Tatum, I feel like, at the end of their careers are going to have just insane counting playoff stats. Um, yeah. And a lot of that is, like, how well the team is constructed around them. But at the same time, I think that, you know, he, yeah. he's he's got a lot to do with that. And I think he, he's still one of the better wing scorers in the NBA. He's if so good. Gift- if you were the Celtics, would you trade Jalen Brown for De'Aaron Fox straight up? I might, but that's because I think Brown and Tatum just have too much overlap in their skill sets. Uh, I think Fox would sort of bring a new dimension to that team. But I don't think that, like, it's so tough. Because if you trade Fox for Brown, it just totally changes the way the Kings play. Yeah, it's sim- It's similar. It's similar for – oh, no, I, I was talking from the Celtics perspective. But it is yeah. slightly similar to the Jalen Brown for Damian Lillard conversation that just some people were having, uh, where you're sacrificing size for more dribbling pop, more more speed, um, yeah. Yeah, I just think I mean every, it was Brown's another guy who it's become very fashionable to shit on uh online, but I think just with the equities built up over the last several playoff runs, uh he was the best player for the Celtics in that final series yeah. less than 2 years ago. Uh I need to see sort of another year of you know the old Rosillo thing of like wait, did did Miami just like figure out if you just make him dribble, he isn't effective anymore. Like, I need to see if an, another playoffs happens where he's kind of rendered a, a, a liability on the offensive end for me to move him down more than this. Uh, yeah. And yeah, quickly on Brandon Ingram, because I didn't really talk about him at 25. He's just, yeah, he's just continues to get better. Um, I'd like to see the three-point shooting come along a little bit more. But uh, from the mid-range, he's one of the very best in the NBA. He's a great playmaker for the wing position and yeah i think and when he was in the playoffs two years ago he had a absolutely uh fantastic showing against the yeah, suns and also put the, put some respect on his play-in game last year against the thunder he wasn't quite as good as sga but it was the sga brandon ingram show um and i think brandon ingram's coming off like a slightly weak world cup 
I mean, definitely really disappointing for him in his camp because it felt like he should be one of the leaders of that team. Yeah. Uh, with his age and experience and NBA production. But he's just so well-rounded. And I could definitely talk myself into having him over Jalen Brunson just for Ingram's defensive ceiling because he's been a plus defender at times in his career. And then he takes steps back. He takes steps forward. Um, if Zion's healthy and, you know, like Trey Murphy takes a step and the Pelicans are really good, uh, we might see Bernie Ingram start playing really good defense again, just because there's less of a load to carry on the offensive side. Um, yeah. But yeah, for me, it would be, it would be Brunson or Ingram, then Halliburton, Fox, Jalen. Um, but the tier makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And I had just to put a bow on the point guard discussion. I had Halliburton at the top of that group in large part because of his, uh, or a, a contributing factor was his FIBA performance where I thought, he looked yeah. better than Brunson. Um, and, you know, FIBA is not the NBA. They're very different games. In FIBA, you know, Drew Holiday looked better than Damian Lillard, and that's certainly not the case. But I do think his sort of play style is very easy to fit around. And, you know, the Pacers were a 500 team when he played last year. And that was last year, not a team that had, you know, an extraordinary amount of talent. I expect them this year to take a further step now that they've added Bruce Brown, Obi Toppin, and I expect Halliburton to play more and some of their young guys to continue taking steps forward. But yeah, yeah he's someone who could really vault into like that sort of all NBA level uh, this season. Yeah. All right. That is, we've reached the top 20, which uh, we'll be coming back with on another pod, but we've gotten from 60 to 21 on this list. And as we go forward, each little kind of division gets even harder and more painstaking and more significant. But yeah, let's shift to talking about some potential breakout guys for this year. Some guys who we think could potentially be this year's Lowry marketing. So Drew, I don't know if you want to intro this at all or, or what you yeah. were thinking with this. So I told Max to choose a few guys who might be this year's Lowry because I feel like this is, I've talked about it on this podcast. I think it's the next frontier of roster building. Just like guys that maybe are a couple of years removed from their draft. You think you understand their ceiling and then, and and, and they just blow you away with what, what they go on to achieve uh, with more opportunity to show their skills on, on a less talented team. And so I said, these guys are probably 25 or younger. Can't, can't have averaged 20 points per game yet. Uh, for a full season or been top two on their team in scoring. So I, I told you to pick three. Um, I got carried away and have a list of seven, but do you want to just drop a name and get going? Sure. And yeah, just to give a little context on Lowry two years ago, he, he was in Cleveland and he averaged, and this about lines up with what he averaged in Chicago. He averaged about 15 points a game, uh, six rebounds and assist and was shooting 44% from the field, 36 from three, sort of middling efficiency, 15 points a game. Last year in Utah, as the number one option, sort of the focus of the defense every night, he averaged 26, nine rebounds, two assists, upped his two-point percentage, upped his three-point percentage up to 39% on a much higher volume, and posted the second-best like efficiency mark of his career. He absolutely blew up last year and he was the seventh pick in i believe the 2017 draft 2016 draft so we're looking 
a large part, I was looking at guys who sort of have that lottery pedigree, but have been just sort of wasting away or where you've seen like flashes of success before. So the first name that came to mind for me in terms of that lottery pedigree was DeAndre Ayton. Um, he, you know, we, we saw flashes of it in their run to the finals a few years ago. I thought Portland did well to take a flyer on him when they have the money to burn where they can, you know, if his contract is bad, they can, they can spend on that. But he was the number one pick in the draft. He's shown that he's really skilled and a good defender and sort of has good athleticism and mobility for his size, where I think in a more featured role, it's possible that he takes a big step forward in terms of scoring and his defense. Uh, Was he one of the seven that you picked? Yes, I just deleted him from my list, but I'm, right. I'm happy to hear we're on the same page there. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing to add there. I think he has he has an opportunity to average 24 and 10, and whether or not it symbol it, it it signals a real shift in his like winning contribution, like he can definitely up his trade value and get and get paid exorbitant amounts of money because he has an opportunity to put up those numbers now. Um, yeah. He's the one I feel best about of the three that I picked. I would agree. Um, now, this one feels a little bit unfair because it's just his sophomore season, but I think he's still a little bit under the radar, and that's Keegan Murray um, <clears throat> on the Kings because I've just heard some decent buzz that the Kings think he has another level to to, to tap into as a scorer. I mean, he's, he's a way more dynamic shooter than I realized uh, – coming out of Iowa his yeah, draft same. a couple years ago. Like, I just did not have a good read on him. Or he just took a massive step in a short period of time. Uh, the way he can shoot off movement now, um, his movement off the ball, like uh, scoring from all three levels. He's he's physically imposing. I think he's like a legit 6'9", 6'10". So, I mean, he's he, he, maybe 6'8". I might be exaggerating, but but he's he's like a big NBA wing um, when he's, he's no slouch defensively. Um, so, yeah. I think we've been we were talking about the Kings earlier and a prove it year for Sabonis, um, but uh, but maybe maybe all of those things become a little bit easier uh, for them to replicate last year's success because Keegan Murray takes a major step and averages twenty. It wouldn't blow my mind. Um, yeah, yeah. I had Keegan and then another guy on my list. I've talked about a lot, um, and I mentioned him earlier, Trey Murphy. Um, I don't I don't know if he has the room to take a major leap. Um, if Zion's healthy, you know, they've got a lot of shots. They've got a lot of shot uh, desiring players. I'll put it that way. CJ McCollum, Vernon Ingram, Zion. Um, they need to feed Dyson Daniels because he's a budding guy. Um, but I, I think Trey Murphy really has some stuff in his bag. Another guy that I, that I um, underestimated pre-draft because I think he was more he seemed like more of a cut and dry three and D prospect and has just shown some bounce uh he's shown some some ability to put the ball on the deck and he's not just like a good three-point shooter he's like one of the best three-point shooters in the league and he's six nine with broad shoulders and can put his head on the rim uh so yeah I I think in the right situation Trey Murphy could 100% be a Lowry marketing type breakout season yeah uh on Keegan uh, same thing for me. I did not see this level of dynamic shooting coming when he was coming out of school. And that's probably he's that's that's probably why he's going to end up being my biggest miss of that draft. I had him 
down at 11, uh, famously behind EJ Liddell, which I'm still not wrong on. Uh, yeah. He doesn't qualify for this list because, you know, you haven't really seen the flashes because he hasn't played a single NBA minute. But I do still have high hopes for him. I think he's going to be a valuable player for for some team going forward. Yeah. Pelicans or not. But Murray, I don't necessarily see the ceiling there with him. Uh, I mean, he is already 23. He was an old rookie coming yeah. out. And um, that's why I felt like even though it's year two, I could sneak him onto this list. Yeah. And it's funny, the college tape, like, I liked Chris Murray's shooting more the tape than I liked yeah. Keegan's coming out of college. Although it's, it would be a major success if Chris can be the shooter that Keegan was just last year in, in the NBA. But yeah, I think, yeah, he's got a great all around game. I see him as more of that sort of elite number four sort of player. Kind of like a, a, Tob- a Tobias Harris type. Yeah. Tobias um, like Phoenix bridges before he sort of took another leap going to Brooklyn would sort of be like the, top tip top ceiling um which would be you know in the 40s best player in the nba uh that would that's i think would be the absolute ceiling for keegan in my estimation maybe he'll blow that away too like he's blown away my other expectations but yeah the shooting element is, is certainly sort of the the driving force there trey murphy i just didn't really consider because i think he's gonna be great and he's made steady strides every season and i don't think he's like a you know distressed asset in any way um or like really slept on yeah uh can i give you another name from my list the... uh yeah is he a former nick he's not okay go on the number seven pick the year after larry Markinen, i believe wendell carter jr uh I, like I don't think he's gonna like make the all-star leap that lowry made but I yeah. do think he is one of the most slept on players in the NBA. You know, every team is looking for that kind of interior big on defense who can stretch on offense. And he's probably one of the more under the radar guys that can do that in the league. His, I was watching some of the preseason game. They were playing against New Orleans the other night. His stroke from the corner looked really comfortable. He's, you know, a true like big center who just is has a really good all-around game like he's smart he yeah. can space defensively he's solid and you know there he can turn into sort of like a brooke lopez light for the magic uh yeah. or a, a miles turner light uh with sort of better playmaking and i think the magic are going to take a big step this year he's going to be a big reason for that and he's going to get a lot more national acclaim for it yeah i i would feel i thought wendell crossed my mind i would feel way better about putting him on this list if he would like somehow ended up in Portland in the Lillard aftermath, right? Uh, or a team where he could, you know, get 18 and 10 and play good defense. And, but I, I just, I think his role is more to space the floor, anchor the defense, maybe get a couple paint touches, but really like help facilitate the growth of Paolo and Franz and all the yeah. young talent they've got developing there. Um, so that's why Wendell didn't make my list, but he definitely has the talent. Yeah, I don't see like a big stat jump coming for him, more of like a big recognition yeah. jump. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I think he's he's like the perfect supporting piece for two wings like Franz and Paulo, especially since they're I think they're both solid shooters, but neither yeah. of them are like, you know, really plus shooters. So having a big that can add that dimension of stretch, especially when you've got like Fultz out there at point guard who's awesome, but 
not a deep shooter. Uh, and then, you know, minutes with Suggs out there, Anthony Black, like they need that stretch element at the five, which Carter provides. All right. I have, I have four guys left. Uh, I'm just going to rattle off a couple. Devin Vassell doesn't really fit the criteria here, but I just think because all of the press right now is Wemby in, in San Antonio and Vassell only played like 30 games last year, averaged like 18, three and three, um, People saw his name in the news because he just got his massive contract, fully deserved. But um, he might he might be able to average like twenty and really establish himself as like the go to guy. Like at least in Wemby's rookie year, at, at the very least, he might become Wemby's bona fide sidekick this season. Um, but Vassell is just super talented. I think he has more off the dribble than I had realized pre draft when he just looked like a really really prototype three and D guy. Um, yeah. And he still hasn't shown everything he can defensively, um, which I assume he'll be able to take a huge leap defensively this year with all the guys they've added um, to help on that on that front. Yeah, Spurs might be better than people expect this year. Like, I think Wemby's going to be an instant impact player on the defensive end. We saw it just yeah. in that one preseason game where he had a two or three defensive plays, which were just like felt gravity warping on the court where he's basically guarding two players at once. But yeah, I'm very curious to see how Vassell looks this year. And so, yeah, there's Vassell. Um, I'm, the reason I asked former Nick, I don't believe in this guy very much, but Obi Toppin, stiffest defensive hips in the league, but just like really, really deep offensive bag and hasn't quite had a coach that wants to let him show that. I Not that Carlisle is, you know, the 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 uh what's the the McDaniel of the NBA, but uh, I I think there will just be more opportunities for Obi to show out. Um, at the very least, it would be interesting to see what happens when Obi shoots like eight threes a game. Like, can can he be just be like a full on sniper? So for me, first of all, if Rick Carlisle is the McDaniel of the NBA, Obi better hope he's not the McDaniels of the NBA. Looking yeah. at you, Josh, Raiders get it together. But uh, I don't want to see him shooting eight threes a game. I want to see him rolling hard to the rim like 15 times a game because yeah. that's the best version of him. I think he probably will see a major stat jump this year. So he might have the appearance of like a Lowry-type leap, but I think he'll fundamentally be the same player. It'll just be yeah, he's being used properly finally because we basically had yeah. him doing like a – you know trying to do a Caleb Martin impression out there or something, which is just not his skill set. Um, so yeah, I think he'll have a big stat leap. I think he'll still have a lot of the same glaring flaws where he can only guard one position on defense. And it's a position where at the four, there's just not that many true fours in the NBA anymore. He's not a rim protector and he's probably, and he can't really move his feet well enough on the perimeter to be effective out yeah. there. He's going to have miles papering over his weaknesses there. So it's truly the perfect situation for him where he can just roll hard to the rim and catch lobs from Halliburton. So I thought about him uh, and he probably will take a, he'll be in the most improved player discussion, I think. So it's, it's worth shouting. really out. hard. It's really hard to go back and watch his Dayton tape and not think that he could average 18 a game this year for the, for the Pacers. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he will because I don't think Carlisle will give him that leash. I'm just saying, He's a really talented offensive player um, who, if he could just figure out how to survive on defense long-term could be like a really valuable sort of Bobby Portis type player. I will say per a quick Google on StatMuse, 
In 15 games as a starter, Obi is averaging 21 points, six rebounds, and three assists. Yeah. Now, a, a lot of those came end of the season a couple of years ago against teams that were like really not trying to win, not to take anything away from him, but like he did drop 40 on the Raptors in a game where the Knicks were just like getting runouts all game. I distinctly remember it, but he has flash yeah. that he can be a real offensive force as a starter. So I am very curious to see how he looks. Uh, then how about a guy on Lowry Markkinen's team, John Collins? Uh-huh. Uh huh. I don't have any idea what John Collins' role is going to be under Quinn Snyder on this in this new chapter. I just don't under, know. Under uh, what's his name? The guy from Boston, not Quinn Snyder. Oh shit. Um, what's uh, his name? Hardy. <laughs> Hardy. There you go. Will Hardy. Um, yes. I I don't know. I don't know how he fits into this new thing. It's hard for me to believe that you can play defense with Collins, Markinen, and Kessler, but crazier things have happened. Um, and we we know that Markinen and Kessler have to be on the floor a lot, so that might not be great for a, for for Collins's minutes. But this is a guy who, for thirty six, was like a a true killer early in his career. I mean, in in twenty eighteen to twenty twenty, like he was averaging twenty three and eleven for 36 on Atlanta um, with some decent defense, good three-point shooting, great lob catcher, runs the floor, was willing to do some some of the dirty work early in his career. And I think he just got really sick of playing next to Trey Young. Um, and, just, and, and it got harder and harder as Trey's star grew. It got harder and harder to play around him. Um, and something happened. He, he lost favor with the franchise. His minutes went down. Um, but John Collins is 25 and he has a lot of talent left. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just rare. You, you see guys that are that athletic can have that kind of shooting touch and are not complete liabilities defensively. And so I, I, I'm interested to see what happens to him in Utah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, can I give you my third name? Yeah. Uh, this one is another situation kind of like Obi where the stats are going to go up a lot and he might just be the same player. But Jordan Poole enter your mind at all? He did, but I just philosophically, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, I saw KG talking about how he's going to be the next Harden, where like Harden was traded from OKC to Houston and just his stats exploded. Um, I don't think he's going to reach the level of player that Harden was. I don't think he has yeah. that playmaking gene that Harden does as one of the best passers in the NBA. But, but he's going to cook. He might lead the league in scoring this year. Like there's, there Let's are, go. there are not, which I think means less than it's ever meant before in terms of yeah. your stature as a player. Uh, yeah, he's he's just taking Bradley Beal's chair. Yeah, and I think he, I think he can average twenty five to thirty a game in Washington with the level of volume that he's going to see and the level that sort of wiggle and, and craft that he has with the ball. He's still going to be a bad decision maker. He's still going to be a bad defender and probably a, a minus playmaker as far as like yeah. the guard position goes, but. He's going to get a lot of opportunities to score and to flash everything that he may have learned from the Splash Brothers in the last few years. And yeah. the the reins are going to be completely off. So I could see him just like in a very high usage role, averaging like 27 points a game. Like, I think that's quite possible. I thought about it and I decided that I need to stick to my my philosophies and if anything, I was going to put Denny Avdia on this list if the Wizards were going to get a guy. But I couldn't do that because I think Avdia is pretty close to what he's going to be. And he's and I and I love Avdia, but 
mm-hmm. I don't think he he has quite the offensive firepower to make this list. Uh, I love that take though that that he might lead the league in scoring because it's crazy that it's not crazy. Um, the last guy that I have, and I'm not even gonna just don't let me talk about him is DeAndre Hunter. Mm. Uh, I just love him. I loved him out of Virginia. Um, he averaged 15 and a half. He needs to rebound more last year. Um, he needs to shoot threes better, but I believe in his shooting touch. I believe in his defense. He just can't string together 40 straight healthy games. It's every time he seems like he's hitting his stride, he gets hurt again. And he's another guy, um, getting lost in the Trey Young vortex down South. But DeAndre Hunter is a guy that I, I've been praying for a while the Blazers would steal in a in a flurry of rebuilding trades and it didn't happen. But I, I, I just hope that DeAndre Hunter doesn't continue to waste away in Atlanta because I think the ceiling is still really damn high. Yeah, that's a good pick. I probably if he had been traded somewhere, I probably would have picked him. I just don't think he can make that Lowry leap in the offensive ecosystem that Atlanta has where you have Trey just like relentlessly dominating the ball. And then in the few minutes where he isn't DeJounte is really ball dominant. So maybe Quinn Snyder is going to install a more egalitarian system there, but I like Deandre Hunter as a player. He had a really good 2021 season and yeah, see if he can build on it. But uh, I'd probably, I, I like that pick, but I just don't think it can happen in Atlanta. Well, this has been our longest episode in a while. We are going to go 20 to 1 on Max's ranks. And we want to talk about our favorite league pass team soon as well. We got shit coming. We appreciate you for listening. And we'll be back soon.